Well, today we'll be diving into Genesis 37. I'm blessed, I have one chapter. So that's pretty amazing. And it's the story of Joseph and he's introduced in Genesis 37. Now the heart of what we're gonna be talking about today, and I'm gonna be looking off to my notes here, so please bear with me. I just don't wanna miss anything. So if you see me looking off to the side, I am fully engaged. I just wanna make sure I don't miss uh, what I've prepared for today. But the story of Joseph's life helps us to see God behind the scenes at work in and through the narrative of our lives. The reality is God is always doing something bigger than you or I can see. Now the book of Genesis establishes incredible truths about God. We can see him as a creator. We can see his holiness, his hatred of sin, love for mankind, redemption, covenantal promises, plans, purposes, and provisions. We can also see the establishment of Israel, God's chosen people. And now we can also see as we're moving out of Genesis into Exodus, the, cap the setting up of the captivity of, captivity of Israel in Egypt, which does set the stage for the book of Exodus. Now, even through a big messed up family, it still brought Joseph and further God's great plan. He keeps his covenant. You can say that out loud. God keeps his covenant. You can write it in the chat. He keeps his covenant. Our word, God's word to us, I believe through this is this, our messed up lives, brokenness in our stories, past, present, or future, has God's faithfulness woven through, and he will never forsake us. When we confess, repent, and turn, God works in and through difficult and messed up circumstances, for his word never fails. His promises hold true, and his perfect timing is always spot on. In Genesis 37, we don't directly hear God's perspective, but we can see his fingerprints everywhere. Joseph's dreams offer a picture of God's plan for the future, for God is writing a story. It's not always possible to see how good is going to come from losses, grief, pain, and suffering in this life. But thankfully, Joseph's story doesn't end as a tragedy. It's a hope. It's a story of hope for you and for me. We can see in the review mirror of our lives, as Joseph's story will show us, God's faithful provision, for he always keeps his covenant. So let's pray before we dive in. Father, we just thank you that you always keep your word. You are a covenant keeping God. And as we dive into Genesis 37, we open our hearts. Holy Spirit, reveal the truth, reveal the word into our lives. And may it bring fresh revelation. May it sharpen. May it just go into the deepest places of our spirit and grow us to be more like you. Thank you for your work. We need the truth. Show us the truth of the word today and change our lives in Jesus name. Amen. So a few of the references that I'm using today are from my NLT study Bible, the ASV study Bible, the Bible project, and as well, I've got quotes from David Guzik and Charles Spurgeon. So that's what I'll be using today. Okay. So I, because I've got one chapter, we're going to read Genesis 37. So if you have your Bible, pull out your Bible and we're going to dive in. And I'm reading from the ESV version when I read the scripture today. So here we go. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Now, Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. 
But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf rose and stood aright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said, are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Then he dreamed another dream, and it told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and moon and stars and sorry, the sun, the moon, the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him and said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let our hands be upon, let not our hands be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. And when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him to Egypt in Pot to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Now, the story of Joseph begins with him being 17 years old, and this begins a remarkable life story in the Bible, and one that is constantly referenced and taught and preached about. 
Many life lessons come from the story of Joseph. The events of this portion of scripture will impact the rest of the story of Israel of the Israelites as they leave the promised land at the end of Genesis to settle in Egypt. Now, a quick, quick review as a backdrop of Joseph's story. As we read in previous chapters about a young man, Joseph's father, Jacob, Israel, he had tricked his grandfather, Isaac, into giving him the family fortune instead of his older twin brother. It all fell apart. Jacob had to run for his life when his twin brother Esau vowed to murder him. Now Jacob found a place with his brothers, his mother's relatives, but his uncle Laban cheated him and treated him like a slave. Jacob had sons from four different mothers, all living and working together. So you can imagine the immense competition and the family dysfunction that we've discussed that Joseph is born into. Once again, this is not a perfect family. However, this is the family that God's plan continues to unfold through Joseph, for he always keeps his covenant. We read that Jacob had a clear favorite, Joseph, who was the son of his old age. And Jacob's favoritism of Joseph was plain to everyone, including Joseph himself. And as a display of his favor, he gave Joseph a tunic of many colors. And this signified a position of favor, princely standing, and birthright. It was a bold way of saying he was a son to receive the birthright. As we have read previously, that usually went to the firstborn son. So this was a bold statement from Jacob saying, Joseph, not the firstborn, is going to receive the birthright. And according to ancient Hebrew phrase for tunic of many colors, it was a tunic that extended all the way down from the wrist to the ankles. And interesting, it was not what a working man wore. It was a garment of privilege and status. And the man who wore the tunic of many colors also watched as others did hard physical labor. Now, Jacob's favoritism of Joseph was a great source of conflict in the family. And the brothers naturally hated him because the father loved and favored him the most. In verse five, we are told now that Joseph has a dream and Joseph proceeds to tell his brothers about the dream and they hate him even more. Now, I am sure here that Joseph knew how much his brothers hated him. And now for them to hear this dream, which sets Joseph up above his brothers, would have even deepened the hatred they had for him. Now, the word of God is the main way that God speaks to us. However, the Bible tells us that God may also speak to us through dreams, and this is an example. Joseph dreams of his brothers in a grain field at harvest, each with a bunch of wheat stalks, sheaves, and the sheaves that belong to the brothers all bow down to the sheaf belonging to Joseph. And the brothers respond by saying, shall you indeed reign over us? They quickly understood the meaning of the dream. The dream is that one day Joseph would reign and have dominion over them. And interesting, this is a neat fact, that it involved sheaves of wheat. Joseph's ultimate position of status in the future over his family would be connected with the provision of grain and food. Now, in verse 9, Joseph has a second dream. He does not learn from the response to his first dream from his brother, but he goes on to tell his brothers his second dream. And I am sure that this made his relationship with his brothers even worse than it was. And the second dream not only sets him above his brothers, but also sets him above his mother and his father. And you can see that Jacob, his father, is even offended when he says, shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down before you? So even though it was unwise for Joseph to tell these dreams, they certainly did come true. Now, there's a lesson for us here in this. 
We may receive a wonderful message from God, but timing is crucial and posture of heart for what we share and how is just as critical. Now in verse 12, we start the section of when Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. Now Joseph's brothers had to do the hard and uncomfortable work of looking after the flocks of their father's sheep. Now Joseph stayed home. He was sleeping in his own bed. And except when Jacob now sends him to check on his brothers. Now, interesting note from my study Bible is that perhaps Jacob too is unaware of the feelings his other sons have for Joseph because Jacob sends Joseph to check on them alone while they pasture the flocks. Joseph again shows a lack of common sense and he wears his special robe, the sign of his father's favor, and he goes in search of them. And here's Joseph with the coat of many color, colors doing no hard work while his brothers are working. And it would have indeed taken some persistence for Joseph because I read in my Bible, in my, pers- in my um, study Bible, that it would have taken about, it would have been about a 10 to 15 mile walk for Joseph to find his brothers. Now, There is now we move into this whole part of when the brothers are starting to conspire to kill Joseph. And we can picture the brothers dreading Joseph's arrival for when he comes, he would report to the father, whatever the brothers were doing. And he often reported a bad report. It tells us that. And so the brothers were not looking forward to his arrival. They also recognized him from a distance as a personal note. Perhaps it was because of the coat of many colors he was wearing. And when they saw it, They recognized him and they recognized this flashy coat. It tells us that they conspired against him to kill him. Now, this is shocking. They didn't conspire to just tease or bully Joseph. They conspired to kill him. This is the hatred and rage. Sin was already in their heart before it was ever acted out. And our sin problem belongs and begins in our heart and must be dealt with on a heart level. Our goal is not only changing our behavior, but allowing God to transform us from the inside out. Now the brothers say, look, the dreamer is coming. Joseph's brothers mock him as a dreamer. Excuse me. Now, Joseph may have brought some of this upon himself by the way he spoke of his God-given dreams to his brothers, but they are so serious about killing Joseph that they even plan in advance how they're going to tell their father, knowing it would devastate Jacob. The brothers then say, we shall now see what will become of his dreams. They are opposing the dreams that God gave to Joseph as a revelation. Now, God's word cannot be defeated when he announces his purpose, for God always keeps his promises and fulfills his word. I want to just sit for a moment on dreams and make a comment. The Hebrew word for had a dream means to bind firmly. Dreams that are from God are spiritual experiences that root deep into our hearts and are not forgotten. Joseph has a dream, but perhaps it's better to say the dream had Joseph. God had a firm and fixed plan for Joseph to fulfill. And I'm sure that these dreams sustained Joseph through what was to come in the many years of hardship ahead. Now, a note by David Guzak concerning dreams is worth a quote here. Joseph's life doesn't really tell us anything about fulfilling life dreams. Joseph never dreamed of being a slave. Joseph never dreamed of being falsely accused of rape. Joseph never dreamed of being forgotten in prison. Joseph never dreamed of being the second most powerful man in Egypt. Joseph never dreamed of saving the world from famine. God's dream for Joseph was better and greater than any dream that Joseph could have come up with. And as a personal side note, as a caution, 
A focus on a God-given dream, a life dream can be dangerous because we can make the fulfillment of our dream the most important thing and how and when we see it unfolding. Our focus should rather be on obedience, submission to God, and walking out God's unfolding plan one step at a time. His ways and timing is perfect. And let's jump right back into scripture here. Reuben's plan now unfolds to rescue Joseph. And it says this, but Reuben heard it and he delivered him, Joseph, out of their hands. Now, Reuben tells him not to kill Joseph, but to throw him in a pit with the plan to come back to rescue him. Now, Reuben could have stood up for the injustice of the moment. He wanted to be merciful to Joseph, but he also wanted to please the other brothers who hated Joseph. Now, this failure to do the right thing meant that the good Reuben wanted to do would not end up happening. And a side note is that he could have also had alternative motives in rescuing Joseph and bringing Joseph back to his father, for it would have put him in good standing with Jacob to regain his firstborn birthright. Now, Joseph is now cast into a pit. They strip him of his tunic, the tunic of many colors, and they rip away this coat, this This symbolized a ripping away of Joseph from his father's favor, the coat of many colors, and they throw him in a pit. And then it goes on to tell us that they sit down and enjoy a meal. Now, this is showing us the heartless characters of the brothers was evident. How could they sit and eat a meal with Joseph nearby in a pit with plans to murder him? Well, God has a plan here and there's an unfolding plan and Joseph gets sold. And so Arab traders come by. And Judah, the brother Judah, which we're going to hear more about tomorrow and in the future chapters to come, gives the idea of selling Joseph. Interesting, Judah also becomes the ancestor of the Messiah. And as the story develops, Judah will be the brother with the most changed in heart and character. And we can also see in this little flashback, there was a note in my Bible study that we can also see that it could have not just been a heart for Judah to rescue Joseph, but perhaps there was greed because money becomes involved. The Joseph's pull, the brothers pull Joseph out of the pit and sell him for 20 shekels of silver. And Joseph is then taken to Egypt. And I wonder if when they took Joseph out of a pit, if he thought this was a cruel, practical joke, you wonder how Joseph must have felt them pulling him up, seeing all this so sad, but all hope would have vanished as he sees the traders and the exchange of money. And this was a common money exchange amount for a slave, 20 shekels of silver. Now, Reuben was not present for this exchange. So when he returns to rescue Joseph, he says that he tore his clothes as an expression of horror and mourning. And when he returns to the pit, for he sees Joseph gone. Joseph might as well have been dead because his father who loved him would never see him again. And we hear about Jacob's grief to fully sell the lie that Joseph is gone. The brothers and that the brothers are innocent. The brothers kill a goat that belonged to their father and smear the blood on Joseph's robe. They return to Jacob and cruelly ask him to confirm that this belongs to Joseph. Joseph of Jacob reaches the exact conclusion they hope for that Joseph has been eaten by a wild animal Jacob's devastation even catches them by surprise in the year and the days to follow for typical mourning for a dead son in that era, such as formal steps of wearing sackcloth may have lasted about a month, but Joseph, I mean, Jacob refuses to stop grieving over Joseph and mourning. He even says he will go down to the grave to shoal without being comforted. He is completely destroyed over the loss of Joseph. We can only imagine here the pain of Jacob, the father, losing his beloved son, and the brothers decide to live the rest of their lives with this terrible secret. Well, Joseph now ends up in the court of a high Egyptian official. 
for the Midianites, it tells us in scripture, had sold him to Egypt in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh of the captain guard. Now, Egypt was a large and thriving kingdom before Joseph arrives. The Egyptians were wealthy, had many natural resources, and were highly educated. Spurgeon writes concerning Joseph, this delicate child of an indulgent father who had been clothed with a princely garment of many colors must now wear the garb of a slave and march in the hot sun across the burning sand. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. His heart was sustained by deep confidence in the God of his father, Jacob. Jehovah was with him. Though Joseph is stripped of his beautiful coat, his family and all that he knew, he is not stripped of his character or from the favor and presence of God. God did not depart from Joseph. In some ways, the story will get worse before it gets better, but God will still be with Joseph. God is working out not only for Joseph himself, but for the larger purpose he has, a redemptive plan for Israel. Now, I want to end with a quote from David Guzak specific to Joseph's life. I'm just going to take a quick drink here one minute. And it says this, we can thank God for his great plan. For if Joseph's family wasn't messed up and weird, his brothers would never have sold him as a slave. If Joseph's brothers never sold him as a slave, then Joseph would never have gone to Egypt. If Joseph never went to Egypt, he never would have been sold to Potiphar. If Joseph was never sold to Potiphar, Potiphar's wife would never have falsely accused him of rape. If Potiphar's wife never falsely accused Joseph of rape, then Joseph would never have been put in prison. If Joseph was never put in prison, he would have never met the baker and butler of Pharaoh. If Joseph never met the baker and butler of Pharaoh, he would have never interpreted their dreams. If Joseph never interpreted their dreams, he would never have interpreted Pharaoh's dream. If Joseph never interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, he never would have become prime minister, second in Egypt, only to Pharaoh. If Joseph never became prime minister, he never would have wisely prepared for the terrible famine to come. If Joseph never wisely prepared for the terrible famine, then his family back in Canaan would have surely died in the famine. We are grateful for God's great and wise redemptive plan. Amen. He is a covenant keeping God. And I just love, as we just read through that, the thread of God's faithful love for Joseph that even we'll read on. I love the scripture when it says that even what the enemy meant for harm, God turned for good. What Joseph even said, what the brothers even meant for harm, what was meant to be harm, God turned for good. God always has a plan that he's working in and through our brokenness, in and through the struggles of life and the hardship. He will never forsake us because he is a promise keeping God. And he is a God that is about restoration and redemption. So today, may you feel that hope in your spirit today, just like Joseph we will go on. And tomorrow we're going to even hear more of this plan unfold. This is quite, this is an epic story. This is like, we all like, this, this is an amazing story. And so we're going to all be able to dive in a little bit deeper tomorrow, but I just want to encourage your heart as we begin this journey with Joseph and start this journey that you recognize that God, the same God here of Joseph, is the same God that's working today. He loves you and has a redemptive plan. No matter what you're facing today, he is working out a promise for you that he will never leave you and forsake you. And he has a plan that he will fulfill in and through your life. And so, but let's just close this time in prayer together and thank God for his great plan in our lives. So Father, we just thank you for your great plan. We thank you that you are the beginning of the story, you are the end of the story, and you are all through our story. The Bible shows us 
a complete revelation of your love and your grace and your redemptive plan, how you can take what was meant for evil and turn it for good. And so God, we look to you today and we thank you in the midst of all of our unique circumstances for your faithfulness. We can look back in the review mirror of our lives and we can see you working in and through circumstance, whether we knew it or not, you have always been working. And so we thank you, God. We thank you today. We want to say first thing in the morning, great is your faithfulness. Thank you for being faithful to us. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that your plans are good for us. And so we hold fast to that today. I pray for anyone today that's going through a hardship, that God, they would hold fast, looking back, standing on your faithfulness, looking back in the review mirror. May they be encouraged to see that you have been faithful you will be faithful now and you will always be faithful in our future days and so God we thank you for your unfolding plan we rest in that plan we look to you you are our anchor and our source of strength and you are our hope our firm foundation we are firmly fixed and we are firmly bound to your love God and so we thank you that you'll never leave us or forsake us in Jesus name amen amen